either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Saying goodbye to summer, hello to the fall movie season, and we've got some big ones to talk about. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com, starting out with sinister characters converge around a young man devoted to protecting those he loves in a post-war backwoods town teeming with corruption and brutality. This is the devil all the time. How and why people from two points on a map without even a straight line between them can be connected is at the heart of our story in Knock'em Stiff. Excuse me, preacher. You got time for a sinner. You know, I studied something. It's called the delusion. A belief that is untrue. It is our delusion that lead us to sin. Delusions! Some people were born just so they could be buried. What I'm about to do, I do because I have to. Not because I want to. So this movie will drop on Netflix this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. Uh, If you are in the area, you can see it at the Gateway Film Center this weekend, which is awesome because very, very few theaters are getting the opportunity to show this movie. And we got to see it last night, and we loved it. And the interesting thing is, it is a Netflix movie, but it was filmed in 35mm, which is very rare for the Netflix projects. Mm -hmm. So another reason to catch it on uh, the big screen if you can. Yes, we did love it. Now, we haven't read the book, but I understand from everybody, our, our circle of friends and acquaintances, that have that have read this book loved it so hard and are so looking forward to this movie. So we can't judge it against the book, but we can judge it as a film. And we were totally engrossed, although it is a dark, dark vision. It is. And actually, you know, it's a funny idea to, to think I'm going to watch the movie and then go back and read the book. But the truth is, this movie reminds me so much of two of my four all-time, <laughs> yes. all-time favorite writers. It is, as you said, it's like a, it's like a marriage between Cormac McCarthy and Flannery O'Connor. And honestly, that screams, we should love this book. And the cinematic execution is great. Yeah, and if you know anything about those two authors, you'll know that this is not going to be a feel-good movie. Why not? At all. No, no. This is about, to use a well-worn cliche, man's inhumanity to man. Right. And the dark and the light struggling and uh, people trying to find their their salvation or their redemption and just the constant fight as the as the movie and the book calls it a fight against the devil all the time right i feel like you know when you start to sort of tick off the different characters what happens to them what they do to other people in other hands this could have easily turned into something sort of a grotesque mockery but it's it's very understated and lyrically told and it's it's interesting in that there is such bleakness, but so much beauty in the telling. Isn't that weird that yeah. something this bleak can feel that way? But it does. Yeah. And it's such an interesting treatment. The co-writer of the screenplay and the director is Antonio Campos, mm-hmm. who you may know he did Christine, not the not the Stephen King, right. the one about the news anchor. Uh, Simon Killer, he was a producer on Martha, Marcy, May Marlene. 
And he actually now, from what I hear, his next project is a prequel to The Omen. Nice. So that should be interesting. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great telling of a story that even though we haven't read the book yet, you can just tell it would be a great book. Mm -hmm. And it is told, as you said, in such a lyrical manner. And one interesting choice that he does, there's there's on-screen narration um, throughout the movie. And the narration is done by the author of the book himself. right. It's, you know, and it, it gives it this folksy quality that is just really compelling. I think sometimes that also can be overdone. But, of course, you know, nobody knows this material better than the author. Yes, Donald Ray Pollock is the author's name. And he's actually from, and this this is an actual town because it's about an hour away from us, Knock'em Stiff, Ohio. We have to go now. <laughs> That's an actual town. This is where he grew up. And he bases at least part of the, the events here uh, in Knock'em Stiff and then in southern Ohio and also in West Virginia as all these different characters, their lives converge in different ways, often tragic and horrific ways, in the time between the end of World War II and the escalation of the Vietnam War. And you've got a, a, a young man played by Tom Holland who is great. He is great. This, the whole cast is great, really. I, and it's so star-studded. Yes, it is. Uh, Tom Holland's character is the son of a disturbed World War II vet who's trying to protect his sister while he ponders his future. You've got a new preacher in town who's got an eye for the young girls in his congregation. Robert played Pattinson. By Robert Pattinson, just another example. I know we say this all the time, but Robert Pattinson is great. Yes. Um, you've got a husband and wife serial killer pair who pick up hitchhikers only to degrade and murder them. And that, they're played by Jason Clark and Riley Keough. So good. It, it just goes on and on and on. And everybody is letter perfect. And the narration, it's, it is. It's so folksy. It's so calm. It's, it's almost like you're just sitting on the front porch drinking some tea and talking about these townsfolk that are just doing these horrible things. Right. It's such a weirdly enthralling film. I mean, I was, I spent the whole time, and and it is very much, honestly, it's very much like reading Flannery O'Connor, where you're almost sorry you're so invested in the characters, because whatever you think is going to happen, it's going to be worse. Yeah, and it for me, it was like a heart in your throat two and a half hours, because you just know there's a dread coming. All the, the bits of lightness that you see are soon to be extinguished. Mm. And but even so, yes, I was totally enthralled. The two-and-a-half-hour running time didn't bother me one bit. No. Um, it's, it's incredibly—these interwoven stories, that can be hard to do sometimes. But as you said, it's very, very understated. Yeah. And it leads to certain things that you don't know how these lives are connected just now. You're going to find out later, and it's, it's going to hit you. And it, it really is. It's, it's one that—not n- many movies that are based on books I haven't read— really spur me to read the book, but I, I'm like you. I, I am very interested in reading the book now, right, right. just to give even even uh, more of a context. So even though I will be interested to talk to some of these people that we know who are very excited to see the movie because they were such big fans of the book, mm-hmm. because as we've said many times, book and the movie, two different things. Yes. But in this case, I think it's also safe to say that Antonio Campos is probably a very big fan of the book, I would think. It <laughs> yes. seems to be a very respectful treatment. I mean, getting the actual author to do the narration. Yeah, that, that speaks volumes. Yeah, it really does. And it's, an, it's just an incredible story. But again, this is not—I know everybody, as, for what we're going through right now, is looking for a feel-good story. This isn't it. No. This is not it at all. But if you respect these kinds of stories and— one movie I thought of a lot in watching this was No Country for Old Men. Right. Again, that's Cormac McCarthy, mm-hmm. who we brought up. Mm-hmm. But if you 
if you remember toward the end and just the resigned look on Tommy Lee Jones's face, right. just about the evil in the world, yeah. that kind of sums up as, yeah. the, as this movie goes along, just what people do to each other and mm-hmm. then can can twist their reasons for doing so. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of sigh and shake your head. But at the same time, there is this incredible blood-soaked beauty in it. Yeah. And and that's what it, the devil all the time is for us. And we, we highly recommend it. Again, in some movie theaters right now, including the Gateway, Columbus, Ohio, uh, we'd love to see here in town. <laughs> or uh, it'll be uh, on Netflix starting on Wednesday. And we recommend it. Well, let's lighten the mood next with a romantic comedy. After a breakup, a young woman decides to start a gallery where people can leave trinkets from past relationships, the Broken Hearts Gallery. You can't have a good relationship because you're constantly mourning the old one. You keep something from every relationship. At least get rid of the ex memorabilia. Never alone. Do you see this tie? It's the only thing I have left from my last relationship. Why don't you leave it here? A nail, perfectly placed. So look at that. It's like art in a gallery. I can help with the hotel in exchange for gallery space. This is amazing. There are broken people out there like me. People who need to let go and move on. Is this the heartbreak thing? You're in the right place. Welcome. Are you ready to hand it over? It has an odor. We're in business, baby. Welcome to the Broken Heart Gallery. Yeah, sometimes... 2020 just calls for, you know, a pretty familiar but charming, light, non-threatening <laughs> rom-com <laughs> with some dance numbers. Yep, exactly. And that's what this is. This embraces its rom-communists and uh, comes out with push buttons blazing. It's the debut, feature debut for uh, writer and director Natalie Krinsky. And uh, she, yeah, just embraces it with a with a chutzpah that actually is is pretty infectious. It, it tells the story of Lucy, Lucy and her two besties. They're twenty-something women living in New York City, and Lucy is an art gallery assistant, and uh, she is just kind of smarting from a bad breakup. And one of the things that her best friends get on her about is saving little trinkets, little mementos from all of her past relationships. They're like, "Well, you can't let go. Get rid of all that stuff." Well, then a chance meeting with Nick, who is getting ready to open a ho- hotel leads to a deal. If Lucy will help him get the hotel ready, Nick will give her space in the hotel to open her gallery of mementos that people donate about their past relationships and the stories that go along with it. And that's the Broken Hearts Gallery, which is actually based on a real thing. The Museum of Broken Relationships has been a touring attraction. But that's just one of the ideas that are borrowed by Krinsky in this movie. But she is able to find some contemporary humor in it. She also uses those, if you remember those funny interviews that when Harry Met Sally used from the old sure, the yeah. old couples, mm-hmm. she does something similar here with the people who are donating mementos from their past relationships. And you get some, some laughter there. But it's really carried by the chemistry of the two leads. Playing Lucy is Geraldine Viswanathan, who you may remember from, she's done a lot blockers. of blockers. She was uh, one of the daughters, and then she was in Bad Education. She was the one, actually, the student oh, right. that, yes. that wrote the, the student journalist, absolutely. That, that brought them down. So she's done a lot of supporting, memorable supporting roles. Here she gets a lead, and she just has a charm about her. Mm-hmm. She really does. A bubbly charm that, that carries the clunkier parts uh, of the script. And, and let me tell you, <laughs> a lot of the script, <laughs> it's so 
fantastical and inauthentic. So much of the dialogue, it doesn't really seem like real people talking. What it seems like is just people waiting for their chance that they know is coming to deliver a perfect quip right. that nobody would ever say in real life. Just boom, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. People or if you get one of those off in a conversation, right. you get that's one, one thing. Right. But this is just nothing but conversations of quips. That's exactly. it. That's all and it is. And then expect many dance numbers. Oh, because I know, I'm sure you, you had... In, times of your life and living with uh, people where you just broke into dances. Never you one have to time. Dance in the Absolutely kitchen. never. You're going to have things like that, but it's all about being this feel-good romantic comedy, and it does. It has a, a real bubbliness about it. It's funny enough, and if you're looking for that feel-good movie, as a lot of people are, and believe me, as we get to more on this, more movies on it's this quite list, a week. we've had a down <laughs> week. I mean, we've watched some tough tough movies this week, and so this one maybe gets a little extra thumb up because it's just such a palate cleanser. You know exactly where it's going from about five minutes in. It goes there, and it's just so happy to go there with a big old smile on its face. So, <laughs> you know, it has some charm and it has some humor, so feel good about it. The Broken Hearts Gallery. And we've got a string of documentaries. This first one takes a look at the history and current activism against voter suppression. Barriers to voting that most people don't even know is a threat to their basic right as citizens of the United States. It's called All In, The Fight for Democracy. If the power of the right to vote was truly made available to everyone in America, it would change the future of this nation. We've been in line for five hours. They said, you've already voted. Looks like several days ago. No, I would have remembered that. Thousands of people were told no and didn't have the authority to demand better. These lines are insane. We had precinct consolidation, non-training of local election officials. I knew something had gone horribly wrong. The system that is supposed to protect our democracy didn't work the way it was supposed to. In the United States, the right to vote is the only right you can lose simply for not using it. This is one of the ones we watched this week that, boy, it just makes you feel so frustrated. Exactly, yeah. And it's disheartening. It is frustrating. It is aggravating. One of the things that I really appreciate in about this film is that it's very clear-eyed. It delivers really great information that makes you just want to scream, but in the end, it gives you a call to action. It tells you what you can do about it. Thank you, God, because otherwise, it's like being kicked when you're down. But, yeah, it wants to scare you, but for a good reason. Right. To get up off your ass and, and realize how important this is. And it's from directors Lisa Cortez and Liz Garbus. And some of the methods and some of the success in suppressing votes, if you didn't know will just stagger you. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, you look at it, it seems so innocuous. It seems so you know, harmless. You don't really think it through. But the fact is, it's really very meticulously planned. So, for example, only in North Dakota, only in North Dakota, you have to have ID that proves a street address. Well, the vast majority of American Indians who live in North Dakota, they get their mail from a post office and they, they don't have a street address in the traditional sense, which means they effectively eliminated that entire population from being able to voice their opinion in the vote. And it gives us, you know, one after another after other. People think that something as sort of mundane as having to have a photo ID like, who cares? You have to have a photo ID. Well, you know what? There are an actual lot of people who don't have one. They don't drive or mm -hmm. they're, they're you know, too old to drive yeah. or they don't see. And so, you know, there are so many reasons why you should question anything 
that hampers in any way a person's ability to vote. And the way that the film really meticulously outlines how it happens, how its its roots go back very, very deep in this country, where it comes from, what the aim is. Mm-hmm. It really is very frustrating, and yet again, clear-eyed and, and a good call to action. And it's the very simplest, perfect rebuttal to the people that say, my vote doesn't matter. If it didn't matter, they wouldn't be trying so hard to take it away. Right. And, uh, yeah, very frustrating, but a big recommendation for All In, the fight for democracy. Next documentary is an unapologetic immersion into Florida's redneck mudding culture. Video Pat is a mudding enthusiast who must question his passion and maybe his entire way of life when the last mud hole in Orlando is shut down. It's called Red, White, and Wasted. Mud is like a drug to me. It's all about the engine roaring, the mud slinging, the just crowd cheering. I don't really know if it's just a stereotype of rednecks driving pickups around. The South's been rebelling since the Civil War. We ain't never really stopped. Someone might like it. Someone don't. I don't give a damn. (laughs) You know, it's all game. It's game on. (laughs) Country folks can't survive. I have always said that one of the things a great documentary does is introduces you to a world you didn't know existed. And man, this did that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, and I, I used to live in Florida some time ago, but yeah, this is this is a new one to me. This mudding culture of monster trucks and mud holes and beer and babes and our, our window into it, our vessel into it, is this video Pat. And he got some local fame in Orlando back in the 90s because he sort of spearheaded this, this one big mud hole they called the Swamp Ghost. And he would just videotape everybody. And he he says that he had probably a thousand VHS tapes filled with just trucks in mud holes. Wow. It's crazy. Uh, So you learn about this world and these people and and their way of life. But the the fascinating thing is how this movie becomes something else for directors Sam Jones and Andre Bowden Schwartz. By doing this... And, and talking to these people, these mutters, you also get a very clear articulation of something that authors and filmmakers have been trying to do for years now and find out why people of a lower economic status continually vote against their own interests right. when they do. And what you see is a group of people whose way of life is literally disappearing because these swamps and these mud holes that they love so much are being bought up, and then they can't use them anymore. Mm-hmm. So they're seeing their way of life, their favorite thing in the world, disappear, and they want somebody to blame. And when they can blame the libtards and China and... As opposed to the actual people who are purchasing right, the land and, the, and the politicians who are making it easier for those people to purchase the land. It, it's, it, gives them the, it makes them feel better. And I know there are other reasons, too, but this is a just a such a clear example. Here they are, and they're telling you. And, yes, they are being openly racist while they don't really think that's a big deal. Right. A- and Oh, it, yeah, if a Confederate flag is a trigger for you, don't watch this movie. Oh, my Lord. One guy just says, quote, it's not, he defends the Confederate flag, saying it's really about good down-home cooking, oh my among God. other things. And, and And then it becomes, it adds some poignancy because this guy, Video Pat, he looks back on his life, he, he talks about his failures as a father, and then he becomes a brand new grandfather, and it's just, 
the the closing of the movie where he's cradling his young new grandson and wondering and 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 thinking about all the things that they have to teach him and and we're thinking you know what yeah I'm worried about that too right. I maybe maybe you're not worried about it but but we are and what kind of things he is going to learn more than just loving mud and trucks and so it's it's a fascinating documentary on two folds two subjects because it does it gives you a window into this just crazy world right and also a really uh, a real interesting look at a side of politics that uh, people have been wondering about for years and that is red white and wasted and next is a documentary that takes us inside the Ohio State University marching band it's called Tibiddle T B D B I T L 141 one of the coolest things that i saw this weekend wasn't even the game there were some great games, but it wasn't even the game. It was a halftime show. How cool is that? You see that? Zero! Ladies and gentlemen, that's how many college bands in this country play and march better than the Ohio State University marching band. So scarlet and gray and peppy. <laughs> That's exactly right. And uh, yes, full disclosure, both of us are Ohio State University graduates. Both of us are big Buckeye fans. We have seen and loved the band for years. If you didn't know, Tibiddle stands for the best damn band in the land. And 141 is the 141st edition of the band. And that's what this documentary focuses on. Director James Camariano, who is also the University Communication Director of National Broadcast Media, Gets a lot of great access, as, right. you, might, as you might imagine. <laughs> and um, he gets some great, great footage and takes us inside the whole year of the band, from summer practices to tryouts to then through the season, when they really started to get major national headlines for their inventive halftime shows. Right, I remember that year. And then through to the uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and the Rose Bowl and playing in Disneyland and on and on and on. So it's a great year for the band, and you get to be there for all of it. And what's great is that you see the band members and the staff and the band director, Dr. Chris Hoke, how hard they work. We're used to seeing all the hard work that the football team puts in, but then we see how hard these band members work, and they talk frequently to former coach Urban Meyer, who has clearly a huge amount of respect for the band right. and he just calls them elite and they have to work hard to get there and this movie shows you just just how hard they do work and it's it's really to be respected he does a great job the director does a, a smart thing in humanizing it through really three main band members that we follow and they're really likable kids mm -hmm. and it's easy to get on their side and even for people that may not understand or care much about the hype of the band that's a good way to make you invested in the story absolutely yeah so underdog tale yeah so we are a little biased but even though the movie struggles a little bit with its over-reliance on video fades and also while the sound of the band is good some of the background uh, sound mixing and editing is a, a little rough other than that, though, I thought it was, here's another feel-good one. It right. just made me feel very good. Yeah. And we had a lot of fun with a Tibiddle 141, and it's available now. It's streaming on Vimeo. <laughs> Next up, we go to a horror thriller set in 1990. A lonely bachelor named David searches for an escape from the day-to-day -day drudgery of caring for his aging mother, and he makes a new friend. It's called Rent-A-Pal. Hi, I'm David. I'm 40 years young <laughs> and um, I live with my mother it's okay. Good night, Mom. I'm looking for a deep connection someone I can give myself to completely hi 
I'm Andy. Thanks for being here today. That's what friends are for. You're just drunk with infatuation for some cute girl to be there for each other. We don't need her. We have each other. When all the chips are down. You've taken everything from me. Andy, I need break up. That's why I'm here for you, pal. Remember Blue's Clues, George? I do remember Blue's Clues. And imagine Blue's Clues, because you know Blue will actually blue. I still sing guide. the mail song you sometimes. Do, you Here's do. Here's the mail, it never fails. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. He'll ask a question of the four and five year olds watching and then pause <laughs> and wait for the viewer to respond. Well, when Lonely David starts watching this VHS tape that he has picked up of Andy and Andy asks a question and there's a pause on this because this VHS tape is added. <laughs> and at first he's very uncomfortable with it, he's like looking around. But then eventually, you know, as he watches it again and again and again, he starts to respond. He starts to time his responses. So it is so creepy. It's really creepy. And it's very much it's like it's it's like blues clues for lonely psychopaths. Yeah, so what David is actually doing, he's trying to find a girlfriend. Right. But what he finds is a a friend. Exactly. It's so it's a it's a video dating service. Uh, so he picks up these VHS tapes of of women who are looking for a mate and then he also leaves a tape of his own and he's waiting for a match. And as he's in there, he finds in sort of a bin this other service called Rent-A-Pal with Andy. Can you imagine people that have only known Tinder stumbling across this and go is that what people did? <laughs> no, right? It's exactly what I thought of. Uh, and and the the thing about it, Will Wheaton plays Andy, the the rented pal. You know, he is very buttoned up, and he's got a sweater vest. And you know, you can see where David feels like there's a kindred spirit here. This is not a jock. This is not a ladies' man. You know, and yet Andy seems pretty cool with himself. Andy seems like he's really got away with things. Uh-huh. And and so little by little, it's 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 so. It's terrifying, and and I and I'm afraid probably more accurate than I'd like to believe how this white man who who is unhappy in his life can so quickly believe that it is to be blamed on someone else, mm-hmm. someone specific. So you know, you know, and and of course it makes you think of a lot of things, incel included, and oh, yeah. and, and 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 also I think for that reason because. It's, he's found a perfect stranger. He doesn't know this person. This person doesn't know him. But he sees in him what he wants to see, and it helps him build a belief that turns out to be really toxic and violent. Yeah, because he believes he's entitled to things right. from people that he is not. Right. It's um, it's eerie. It's very clever. It's incredible. The performances are really, really wonderful. There's really a total of four performances, basically, the entire film. All of them are are just Amazing. And the writer-director is John Stevenson. Right. And this one is streaming now? It is. On all of your platforms, all of your VOD platforms. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, and that is Rent-A-Pal. Next is a bit of a horror fantasy. A city doctor relocates to a remote village in order to offer his services to the community. And it's love at first sight when he first sets eyes on Danae, who lives in isolation with a mysterious skin condition. This is called Entwine. Να με πιστέψει πρέπει όμω. Ξανά να μάθει τι να με άραγε στα λίγα. Μα τυχόνιση. This is a Greek movie and it is sort of a fairy tale. It's very much the way it works out as sort of a folk tale. It doesn't tell a particularly new story. Uh, it was very, very familiar, everything about it. 
But the performances are really, really good. And the it's set in Greece. It's set in sort of an isolated woods on the on the Greek Isles. So it's gorgeous. I mean, it's really, really beautiful. Just another movie that makes me think we've got to go to Greece. Right? Because, my Lord, is it beautiful. You know, it's handicapped by the fact that none of it is very surprising. You're not going to be very surprised by what happens. But the, but the performances, especially the lead, it helps you to get past some of that. Mm-hmm. The problem, the biggest problem in the film is that the co-writer John DeHolland also co-stars as Panos's brother George. And he is, uh, forgive me because I, I struggle with a nicer way to say this, he's just awful. He's yeah. just standout Weak. terrible. Yeah. And it really punctures the film every time he's in it and which is which is really unfortunate because the film relies on casting a spell and then every time he's on screen it is broken which is i'm sorry to say that i know that that sounds quite hateful but i i don't mean it to i just i'm not sure how else to say the movie is not incredibly strong and what strengths it has are broken every time he's on the screen but we do have to mention that the actor that names that plays panos his first name was prometheus it is which is glorious Prometheus Alifer, I think. Man, what a name. Prometheus. That commands attention. Um, And so that is Entwined, streaming now. And finally, another one of the movies that helped deaden our souls this week. It's been rough. 14-year-old Chakra is sold as a slave laborer to the captain of a Thai fishing vessel. The captain's rule on board is cruel and arbitrary in buoyancy. This is the feature debut from writer-director Rod Rathjen, and it is a, um, it's an impressive piece of filmmaking. Mm. He works mainly with non-actors. The ship's captain and and one other man are, are professional actors, if you've seen other things, but mainly Sarm Heng plays the 14-year-old boy who just, you know, in his home of Cambodia, he's bristling as adolescents do, sure. you know, against, but... but Looking for a better life. But we can see that it's more than just adolescent angst. He really is trapped in a, in a future that will be fruitless, that will be nothing but hard labor. But we know still he should not follow this opportunity that he hears about to travel, to leave the country... And uh, get a job at a factory where he'll make good money and in three years can come home with money. And it's okay if he doesn't have the $500 to cross the border because he'll just work that off in the first month. And one of the things that makes this movie so effective is that nobody ever explains anything to these people because why would they? It doesn't make any sense. When a film does that, it's for the benefit of the audience. And that's one of the reasons why this scheme works for people because, you know... They want to believe it, mm-hmm. that it's true. Yeah. And so as this 14-year-old boy, you can just... And, oh, the the actors... There's very little dialogue. The whole performance basically is on his face as you just watch it go from youthful optimism to basically dead alive, you mm. know? It's so... It is so heart-wrenching. It's so well-made. It's so understated. It is incredibly hard to watch. It is incredibly hard to watch, but very much... Very much worth it. Especially when it closes with some real-life information. Yeah, that up to 200,000 men and boys in Southeast Asia have gone missing and are believed to be uh, sold to ships, to the fishing industry. Yeah, like you say, very hard to watch, but an important and really well-made, and that is buoyancy. And you can watch it streaming right now on Gateway Film Center as well as the Wexner Center for the Arts. 
That takes us to the lobby. Let's check in and get some news. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, bringing us all the knowledge, the latest news from the film world. And I just saw something this morning. We've got another new announcement about Wonder Woman 84. Yes, it has been postponed from its early October date to Christmas Day now. Um, Warner Brothers has set it for Christmas Day release, and apparently they still intend on releasing Dune in December as well. But, of course, we'll see how well that holds as the months go on. Uh, there's also rumors that Disney might move Black Widow to next year, but nothing solid has come out yet on that front. And this is all this is all really because Tenet underperformed, right? Yeah, Tenet has done pretty well overseas last I checked, but it just didn't move the needle much here in the United States. Uh, I think it's becoming clear to the studios that people just really aren't ready to come back out in force yet. Sure. So they're all adjusting their schedules accordingly. And kind of piggybacking on that, uh, we also heard about Sony just sort of putting out a blanket statement about their plans. Yes, one of their uh, studio execs uh, made a comment earlier in the week that it was more of a broad statement that basically just said that right now they have no intention of releasing any of their blockbuster movies until the pandemic is over, no matter how long that takes. Wow. And that is such an open-ended. I mean, who who decides when it's over? Right. You know, what what are the parameters right. for that? Is what there's a vaccine, and then or if there is one, is everybody going to take it? That's such a such an ambiguous uh, end goalpost. Yeah, it's it's a really bold and vague statement. Of course, they could amend it later on. But yeah, yeah. They're really the only ones that are coming out and making such a forceful remark just yet. And then the Oscars made an interesting announcement this week. Uh, they did. They're they're introducing a. Uh, pretty large set of the inclusion guidelines for productions for films to be eligible, um, at least for the big awards, I think for Best Picture in particular. Mm-hmm. It's caused a lot of uh, turmoil and arguing online, but even just looking over it, basically, uh, they basically have a list of requirements, and I think you only have to meet a couple of them to be eligible. Yeah, and the the requirements are meant to, you know, improve diversity. But the truth is, you know, one of the things you have to do, you have to have a person of color, a woman, uh, LGBTQ representation in any of the department heads. But that would include PR and marketing. And you would have to work really hard to put out a a motion picture that did not meet these requirements. So, well, I think it's a nice idea when people are like, oh, well, there goes the Irishman. Nope, it would still be in. They would all still be in. Everything would still get in. Well, I think like (laughs) anything else, it's you're going to get the knee jerk reactions. And then when you say, "Okay, let's um, take a look, take a look inside. And when you start finding out those things, uh, opinions might change. But of course, it's it's Twitter, so it's going to go nuts. Well, you know, for me, I think the thing that, that they could do and probably should do that would actually help is what Rotten Tomatoes did with their film critics, which is to actually go out in search of more diversity. They should be yeah. actively recruiting mm-hmm. more members of the Academy who are people of color and LGBTQ representatives. Not old white men. Right. Well, <laughs> old white people. Old white people, yeah. I think the regulations are... Uh are nice to have on paper, but they're not as um, <laughs> they're not as strict as people might think. They exactly. Are. Right. Right. And one more item. I know thing something we like to talk about here all the time as much as we can. Insurance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Another interesting thing has cropped up in regards to the pandemic, uh, specifically in regards to one film. But I'm sure this is 
probably going to be an ongoing problem as productions start to resume. But there's Robert Rodriguez is supposed to be making a sci-fi action movie with Ben Affleck. It was going to, it's called Hypnotic. It was going to film back in April, but obviously that didn't happen due to the pandemic. Now, apparently the producers had purchased cast insurance close to like $60 million worth back in the spring, and the policy was set to expire on October 28th. Now, of course, no one knew that things would be allowed to get as bad as they have here in the U.S., so obviously the movie hasn't started filming yet. Apparently, they hope to film it in Canada next month. But since, you know, they're going to start shooting in October and the policy runs out at the end of October, they want to extend their policy. And, well, apparently the film insurance company is saying, no, you can't do that. So now they are suing them to uh, try and get that situation worked out so they can actually shoot their movie next month. And, of course, if they don't get it, they're, you know, you're in a bit of a pickle. You might end up having to cancel the film. And yeah. I suspect this is going to be a problem for a lot yes. of different productions. Chaos. Yep. <laughs> when, when you think you've exhausted all the different avenues that this pandemic has affected lives, here's another one <laughs> right. that you don't even think about. Man, all right, we'll keep tabs on that. Daniel Baldwin, you can find him at The Schlocketeer. Thanks, as always. All right, thanks for having me. Looking forward to next week. Looks like it's going to be busy. We're looking forward to Antebellum. Summerland. Blackbird. Spiral, that's the new Shutter one. Ooh, Lose the Flower of Evil. Wasn't there a movie called Lose? In there the last... was, yes. Yeah. This is another horror movie called Lose. <laughs> um, H for Happiness. All right, Residue. Lost Girls and Love Hotels. I've got issues. You that, do, that's, but... Yeah, that's not a cry for help. It's an actually <laughs> a, a movie title. The Nest. And Alone. All right, a full week. We'll get to those, but boy, a lot to talk about this week with the devil all the time and some of those documentaries. What do you think? We love to keep the conversation going. Twitter is the easiest place to do that. You can find us at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, you can find all of our written reviews and our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all available at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. We always appreciate you stopping by. Do us a favor if you would and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and we would just so appreciate it. Thank you so much. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>